Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Why Not Us College Basketball Podcast here on Spotify. I'm your host, Adam Glick, joined, as always, by my incredible co-host, Josh Spaeth. We are here to talk about the NCAA Tournament. We are through the first weekend, four days of non-stop, pure entertainment and enjoyment of basketball. As always, first weekend of the NCAA Tournament lived up to the hype and then some. Before we get into region by region, Josh, kind of just your overall thoughts and what you saw over the last four days. And, you know, both of us, we got the pleasure of being in each other's company. We got to go to some basketball games, six games we got to see in San Diego. I mean, could we have had a better weekend of hoops? Honestly, I mean, the answer, the answer is yes, but I'm not going to say that because it was unbelievable. Like from the very first tip off of Michigan, Colorado state to the Christian Coloco finish in overtime against TCU last night, all four days insane. It didn't stop. I would just like to have the record show because I need to call you out. Every once in a while, I received a text from our host, Adam Glick, early on Thursday after it had been pretty chalky, saying that tournament was not heading in the right direction and that we needed some more, you know, interesting things to happen. Well, you could thank me. I guess everybody could thank you because shortly after, (laughs) Iowa goes down to Richmond, UConn goes down to New Mexico State. And then uh, Kentucky had some interesting times with uh, a bird with very uh, colorful feathers. Who was that? Those were the uh, peacocks of St. Peter's University. Listen, I can go on a tirade just talking about the school of St. Peter's University. Probably, so we, as I told you, I think it's the second biggest upset in the history of the NCAA tournament. And I think it's the best story that we've ever had in the tournament now that they've won two games and are on the sweet 16 and not just winning two games. You get to talk about them for an extra four to five days because they get to go to the sweet 16. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to talk about the, uh, the Holloway situation there? Yeah. So Shaheen Holloway, the head coach of St. Peter's university hit a buzzer beater shot with Seton hall in 2000. It was the last time, a team from Jersey made the sweet 16 and he was uh, their star point guard. And now he gets to lead St. Peter's to a sweet 16, who, by the way, one of the lowest budgeted teams in all of college basketball. They found this out today, Josh. Uh, I don't know if you knew, knew this there. They could not afford to send their cheerleaders to the NCAA tournament games. Are you kidding? Didn't, did not have enough money in the budget, but after they upset Kentucky, The NCAA and some other people, they had the funding. They sent out buses, and they were able to bus them to Indy. How about all the merchandise that's being purchased right now at St. Peter's? I would think they would get a little bit of money from that. And I don't know if you've seen the campus. Just a normal building in Jersey, just on the street. Only have about two to 3,000 students at the entire school. And they beat Kentucky. They beat Kentucky. John Calipari has a whole boatload of NBA prospects on the team, as always. One of the best coaches of all time in the sport. One of the most storied programs in the sport. They lose to St. Peter's, the little peacocks that could fly. 
And listen, I, you know, that's what the tournament's all about stories like this. And they backed it up by making only the third time ever as a 15 seed to get to the Sweet 16 by beating another team from the state of Kentucky, the Murray State Racers, who, listen, mid major, you know, whatever. They were 30 and two. They had a 21 game winning streak, best year in their school history. And they got, they were outplayed the entire 40 minutes. They were losing. It wasn't even close. They were losing the entire time. They got outplayed, out hustled, out coached. And it's just been an incredible story. If it ends losing to Purdue, which we'll get into, it's still phenomenal no matter what happens. And this team and the school will be remembered forever. But obviously, I think that was the main storyline of this first weekend. But, you know, before we get into the region by region, Josh, I think the other story was, and we kind of found this out by the games that were played of some of the top overall seeds, there's not a lot of separation that we are used to in this tournament. Listen, it's always incredible, but usually you know a few of the top teams that are probably going to cut down the nets in April. After seeing so much basketball over the last four days, I don't know who's cutting down the nets. I don't even know. I can't even narrow it down to two, three, or even four teams. I think five or six could cut down the nets. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. it's the parity is on a new level. And we talked about the fact that last year, especially you and I could see it was Gonzaga and Baylor and everybody else. And that's exactly how it played out this year. Not so much. The two top teams in terms of seeding Gonzaga and Arizona were challenged and then some by outstanding performances by eight and nine seeds, respectively. No, were they both nine seeds? Two nine yeah. seeds in yeah. Memphis and TCU that yeah. had at some points in time, good, never really great. I mean, Memphis beat Houston twice, which is huge, but they're nine seats, right? Yeah. They shouldn't be taking Gonzaga and Arizona to the depths that they did. Memphis was up by 10 at the half, and Drew Timmy had to put the team on his back for Gonzaga to go to the Sweet 16. And we were at Arizona TCU. They were in it for every minute of that game. We said they're going to have to score with the Wildcats, and they did just that. And frankly... We could talk about it if you want to. TCU was uh, maybe cheated a little bit out of their, their win in San Diego yesterday. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's so many things that we could talk about. We could be on the show for literally five, six hours. You go but region by region here. Yeah, we'll go, re- I, we'll go back to the Arizona region in a second. But just a quick touch on this since you brought it up. Things that I've read, everyone that I've talked to, everyone says it's a foul. I'm one of my good, honest reporters that I follow in college basketball. He said he talked to eight former referees of college basketball after the game. You know how many said that was a foul? Eight. All eight. Hmm. I mean, listen, I hate to, you know, blame the game on the refs, and it wasn't, you know, that one call. I mean, honestly, could have affected the whole complexion of the game, but you have to call a foul, and if you haven't seen the replay, go watch it. You got to call something. He got the highlights from that game. You should go watch. Yeah, one of the best games of. I don't know. I don't know if I want to say the history of the tournament, but in a long time, it was incredible. Josh and I were very, very fortunate enough to be there. I, we were just looking at each other literally the whole time, just like Silent. what is what is going on. <laughs> I was 
I couldn't even put into words what I was watching on the court. It was truly amazing, but that's what it's all about. Josh, let's start with the regions now. So we'll, we'll start in the top left. Obviously, we talked about this going into the tournament. The top four seeds, we were like, this is loaded. And believe it or not, this is the only region that has all top four seeds still playing as we had the Sweet 16. But as we saw, all four of them got extremely tested. All four of them could have easily lost. That's, I mean, that's what I just find amazing about this. So we have Gonzaga playing Arkansas, the one and the four. And then we have Texas Tech playing Duke and Mike Krzyzewski. Coach K, still coaching. Final year in the 2-3 game in the West region in San Francisco on Thursday and Saturday. So, Josh, what are you kind of your thoughts going into these games and who do you think comes out of it? Or, you know, what have you seen the first two games confidence-wise? Just overall thoughts. Yeah, I mean, you, you're right there with these teams kind of struggling more than we thought they would. They all got there, and I still think that this is the gauntlet and the toughest bracket. I said that on Selection Sunday. I said that before the last pod. I still feel the same way. I still think that of any of the four brackets, this is the only one that has three teams that realistically could cut down the nets. I think Tech is a little bit of a stretch, but Gonzaga or Duke, they're probably two of the top teams remaining for sure. And, you know, Chalk says that's the matchup we're going to see is a Gonzaga-Duke semifinal, but Tech is favored. Yeah. Okay, we watched this Texas Tech team. They absolutely dominated Montana State through and through, who was not a very good team. And then Notre Dame was giving them trouble. Notre Dame was up with two minutes left. People forget about this. Okay. They were in it. It was a defensive struggle, but Tech was able to pull it out just because they've got the size and the talent. And frankly, if they play that kind of defense against Duke, Duke hasn't faced a lot of top defenses this year in the ACC. I mean, you could maybe argue Virginia with Tony Bennett, but they lost to Virginia. So it's going to be a great game between those two. Gonzaga, Arkansas, it would take a lot for me to see Arkansas winning. They struggled a lot in both their games, almost losing to Vermont and barely getting by New Mexico State in a disgusting game. Gonzaga is going to run up and down the court with them. I don't think Arkansas's defense is especially good. And it's going to take, you know, holding Drew Timmy. They don't have the size of stopping Shed Holmgren, who isn't actually that big, but at least he's lanky. He gets a lot of rebounds, a lot of second chance opportunities for Gonzaga. That's why the spread is what it is in that game. So I do like the Bulldogs, but you know what? I'm going to be bold on the pod. And I know you and I have talked about the fact that, you know, there's the whole Duke storyline. And they could go away because of the whole Coach K, but I'm going to pick Tech on the pot. To beat Duke? To beat Duke. Okay. I'm not against it. They're favored for a reason. I mean, it's a point. It's a point. It's a pick them, honestly. First thoughts for me going into the of the four teams. Arkansas, I was really, really high on them going into this tournament. And listen, credit to New Mexico State and Vermont. They're solid mid-majors. But what they performed against those two teams did not really impress me. They struggled at times to score the basketball. They also struggled to guard some, you know, 
athletic shooters, as we saw in Vermont, really. They did well on New Mexico State, but New Mexico State plays a slow tempo. They're, other than Teddy Allen, they're not really a scoring team. But they didn't put away those two teams like I thought they should and could. So going into this Gonzaga game, I think it's going to take a lot. Even though they do match up particularly well, Gonzaga struggles against kind of teams that can shoot the ball, that they're fast with their guards, and they're physical down low. Even though they're not super big, they're physical. And we saw that with Memphis. They gave them all they could handle. I don't think Arkansas wins. I do think they're going to cover this eight and a half, though. And I know it could go either way. Yeah. Um, This Duke-Texas Tech game, though, I think could be another, like, best game of the tournament, in my opinion. I think it's going to be a defensive-minded game. Tech's going to have to keep this game in the low 70s, high 60s to win. I was going to say 60s. Probably 60s. I mean, it's just what I saw from Duke on Sunday yesterday against Michigan State is when it's crunch time, the nice thing with them is you have multiple guys you can go to to get a bucket. And what I saw from Tech is – do they have that? If it's a close game, multiple guys get a bucket? Kind of. Listen, Mark Adams has done an incredible job coaching this team in his first year. They're super talented. They're very big down low. They play amazing defense. And I think they're going to give Duke all they can handle. But for me, I think Duke is just too much of a presence. They have too many guys that are going to make plays at the end. Mark Williams, Paulo Bancaro, Trevor Keels. I love this team. I love this group. I don't know if they can cut down the nets. I mean, they're one of my teams that can, obviously. I don't know if they will, but I think they're going to get past Texas Tech. And I just think it's going to set up for that rematch with Duke and Gonzaga. And it's going to be one of the most watched games maybe in the history of college basketball. When was the last time those two teams played? In November. And Duke beat them. Oh. Yeah. I forgot about that game. Yes, and it was an incredible game, really high scoring, and I think it would be the same if they got to play each other in the Elite Eight. Also, Gonzaga fans in San Francisco versus just the Duke overall alumni presence across the country. It would be amazing, amazing game to watch. That game will be in Chase Center. Yeah, it will be in Chase Center, which I've never been to, but seems very nice. I think it's just those are the teams that are meant to play each other. Of course, they got bracketed together before the Final Four. I just – I would love Tech to win, even though I'm not – I hate Tech, but I just think Duke's better. I can't see Arkansas. I thought I could see it before the tournament, but after what I've seen the last couple of days, I know can't really judge it on a game-to-game basis in this tournament, but I just think Gonzaga's too much. And now that they've been tested by Memphis, they're going to be ready to play, especially on five days, six days – of rest. So I like, I don't know if you said your pick for the, let's save it for the end. Okay. Let's save it for that. Okay, fine. So we have our games in the top left. Let's go across the bracket here to the top, right? Because I know you like to go across. I like to go down and then the other (laughs) side, but you like to go across a little zigzag action. That's fine on this Monday evening in the top right region, the, Arizona bracket, which is the south south region. I, it's so weird this year because there's just 
teams that usually aren't number one seeds take over the region kind of where it kind of sets up a weird like Arizona in the south you would think they'd be in the west whatever anyway in the south Arizona the number one seed so we talked about a little bit got really tested but they're here credit to them playing a five seed in Houston who we really like we'll get into that in a second and then we have the bottom half game between number 11 seed Michigan who barely get not barely but they got in the field despite blowing a 17 point lead in the conference tournament to Indiana they play Villanova Colin Gillespie and that group a really scary team as well so not like other than Michigan you know Houston a little surprising and we thought maybe they could get upset to UAB Illinois you know who knows and then Villanova and Arizona, we both thought probably would be here right now. Yeah, but we see we don't have Tennessee. <laughs> Michigan took care of them. Colorado no Tennessee, State. no Illinois. Yeah, no Tennessee, no Illinois. We were not like overly shocked. I think both of us, pro- I think, picked ten or Michigan to beat Colorado State, but. What they did to Tennessee, that was impressive, even though we weren't that high on Tennessee. However, let's start with Arizona. We saw them in person on last night in one of the best games of the tournament so far, for sure. Mathurin and Coloco. Oh, my God. The duo is very, very, very scary. They took over Viejas Arena. Felt like I was in Tucson. Luckily, it wasn't 100 degrees. They play a Houston team that has one of the best defenses in the country, one of the best coaches, I think the best coach in the country in Kelvin Sampson, and they obliterated Illinois, wiped them off the floor. They also dropped a ton of points on a really scary 12 seed in UAB. They can win a lot of different ways. It doesn't matter who's on the court. They always find a way to compete. Josh, what are your thoughts going into these two games? Who do you like? So – once again, we doubted this Houston team, at least to a degree, which yeah. last year we did a lot, especially after seeing them in person in the American Athletic Conference Championship. We didn't yeah. see a lot of strong offense. You know, this team has always had a lot of good defense, but especially, you know, we've talked about it many times, losing their top two scorers. Kyler Edwards has really stepped up. And then they've got a litany of other guys that can get 10 points a game if they really need to. And then otherwise they lock you down on defense. So for an Illinois team going into that game, I mean, they were a four and a half point dog and they lost by what? 15. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were in it for periods of time, but it was very clear that Houston had their number. And that's really the thing, right? Houston has matched up against almost every single tournament team that they've faced in the last two years with the exception of getting rocked by Baylor in the final four. And I'm going to say it, despite the fact that it's one and a half points, I think Arizona fits into the same kind of category that can handle this Bay- this Houston team. Mm-hmm. I mean, I respect them a lot. I think the Cougars are a deep squad, like I said. I think Kelvin Sampson is a really, really good coach. But I don't think there's a better team in the field right now than Arizona. I'm going to say it. And you know what? We have bias from watching this team play. They got tested last night, which honestly, as you were saying with Gonzaga, is a good thing to have that early, you know, a little scare 
maybe some people questioning them because they're saying, oh, it should have been a foul. They should have lost to TCU. Like, no matter. They went to overtime. They won that game. And now they will be in San Antonio facing a very tough Houston team on track to then face another very tough Villanova team. For Arizona to win out and win the national championship, they are going to have to go through the toughest path of any team in the entire bracket. But if any team could do it, I think it could be them. You talk about Matherin. Oh my God. The man I, I, I told you last night, I think he's the second coming of like a Kawhi type of character. He had one of the most vicious dunks that I've ever seen in person in my life. And, you know, I've seen Zach Levine play plenty of Bulls games that still he dunked on a guy who was probably 6'11", 280 and was like the fan favorite at the time. And for most of the game and Eddie Lampkin on TCU just completely went over his head. Didn't care. Had a cut. Bang. Step back three from the logo with 11 seconds left to tie. I mean, he's he's a monster. And let's not forget about the fact that they have a 7-2 man in Christian Coloco who is unstoppable. Like, I don't understand how you could put a body on him. TCU was lucky that Lampkin was able to stay in for most of the game, and he was big enough to do that. Who does Houston have that's that big? Cheney Jr. But I don't know how tall he is, but he's Arizona's also the tallest team in the country. Yeah. Okay. Like size, they've got it. Honestly, a great matchup would have been the two teams that we saw in Arizona and Tech, because Tech also has a ton of size. But Houston is they they play a lot of really good perimeter defense, which just means Arizona's gonna have to go in a lot more, but they are more than happy to do that. They can beat you in a million different ways. So I I just have to go with Arizona here. And I personally think getting them at minus one and a half is good value, but it should be a good game. Yeah, I agree. And just Josh, you pointed this out when we were at the game last night. They shot Arizona from three. They shot, let me see right 19% here. or something? Yeah, they were what is it? They were five of twenty-seven. 18 and a half percent and they still won that game they still won the game and they still scored i don't care if it went overtime 85 points that i mean that tells you something right there also their offense is insane also yeah you, you talked about coloco if you don't know christian coloco he's only a sophomore he's 7-1 he had 28 points in 12 rebounds on 12 of 13 <laughs> shooting. Oh my That's God. video game-like numbers. How do you stop this guy? You don't stop him. You have to get him into foul trouble. Listen, and Carissa, who they like to bring in off the bench, a shooter, shot one of 10 from three. Tabellus did nothing. Tabellus did nothing. Larson didn't not a big impact. Ballo didn't have a big impact either. And they had two guys that were able to get the job done. Listen, you can we can talk about this foul on Miles Jr., which it was, and it's really a shame because I said this to you last night, Josh. TCU played. I know that you can pick out nits and bolts here, but basically a perfect game, and they still lost to Arizona. 
they played the best game that they possibly could have played, with the yeah. exception of some free throw shooting. You talk about the biggest team in the country. They won the boards, 48-44. They were very aggressive. They had a lot of putback layups and dunks. That were yeah, a lot of offensive <laughs> rebounds, yeah. Extremely just athletic prowess that, that I saw. That guy's flying in. That are yeah. getting rebounds over Coloco for putbacks late in the game. They fought and they 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 clawed and they were down nine and um we were both to each other we're like it's over midway through the second half and they fought back they took a lead obviously that three from the logo and then that foul and then they don't lay it in and they try to dunk it it's just pure madness but back to this game with Arizona Houston I think Arizona I love the value here I'm I already hammered the spread I can't see them losing to Houston I just especially after what they just gone through with TCU. TCU is kind of a similar team to Houston. They're not going to, they're not a great shooting team from outside. They're very physical down low. It's not Cheney Jr. It's Josh Carlton. That will probably guard Coloco. He's 6'11". He's a reading, leading rebounder, but I don't think they can score enough to Arizona because you can limit Arizona, but you can't shut them down on offense. They're too good. They have too many weapons. Obviously, Houston's going to really focus on Coloco and Matherin, but they only can do so much. I think Arizona's just way more talented than Houston. I like them to come out in a close game. I see like a 74 to 66 game, you know, seven to eight points. I really like Arizona cover here. I think it will be a defensive battle for sure, but I can't see them losing. Going to the bottom game, Josh, Villanova and Michigan. Rematch, same floor, four years ago, national championship. Fitting. Villanova and Michigan. A two-seed and an 11-seed. However, Michigan's playing with a lot of confidence. Jawan Howard, really doing a nice job with this team. Hunter Dickinson's playing extremely well. Their guards are playing really, really well that we haven't really seen until basically the month of March. And Villanova, though, everything just clicks. They run the offense perfectly. They have so many weapons that they can go to. They always take the right shot. Obviously, against that Ohio State team that they played on Sunday, there are parts down the stretch where they kind of got a little, you know, a little nervous, you know, not running the offense confidently, taking some shots. They didn't have to lay in the shot clock, but they got it done. They're experienced, and by the way, they make every single free throw. So if it's close and they're winning, they're not going to lose the game because every free throw goes in. So, Josh, what are your thoughts on this Villanova-Michigan game? And Is there any way Michigan can upset Villanova? The spread's only four and a half, five points. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be a pretty tough hill to climb. Mm-hmm. I honestly am willing to say that I have more hope in Arizona beating Houston than I do Noah beating Michigan though. And here's why it's just because games like this, they're going to be kept close. I think that Nova wins just because of what you're saying. The free throw shooting is top of the line. They're in line right now to be the highest free throw percent team of all time. In NCAA history. Yeah. They got it. They got to keep it up led by Colin Gillespie who, you know, never, ever misses. And he's been waiting for his chance to do this. The issue is, like you said, Michigan's got a lot of confidence. Between Hunter Dickinson 
and Eli Brooks. They had 50 points against Tennessee on 17 of 27 and 5 of 10 from 3. Okay, like they are, they're banging all the time. They got guys coming off the bench. Terrence Williams had a nice game. Like it does, it doesn't matter. Like they're going to try to beat you in a lot of different ways. They've got enough size to keep up with Villanova, which honestly is probably Villanova's weakness on offense. They're a bit more reliant on the perimeter, which is similar to what Tennessee's style of play was. And Tennessee went two of 18, 11% from three against Michigan. So Nova doesn't shoot a lot of threes. They're not a crazy three-point shooting team. They hit them when they're open. What I saw from Villanova is what I've seen all year in their game against Ohio State. They find the best shot on every single possession. Doesn't matter if there's 14 seconds left on the shot clock or four seconds left on the shot clock. They're not going to force it. If Michigan gets into, you know, forcing them to make turnovers, get them out in transition, they're hitting their shots, and Nova feels them creeping back like there was a one period of time with Ohio State, then you might see Nova force a couple shots. And I think the only way Michigan wins this game is if, for whatever reason, they get flat-footed, they start making dumb mistakes and turning the ball over. But Jay Wright coaches this team to a T. We've seen them win two national championships in the last six years, the last of which being against this team on this floor. I don't think Nova will lose, but I do think that Michigan will keep this one close just because, you know, that's how these games go. And Juwan Howard really has just riled up his bunch of late. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Just this Villanova team just seems like they're built for the moment. They haven't lost a postseason game. They haven't lost a game in the month of March. They're just ready. They know how to get it done down the stretch. They've won a lot of close games in the last month or so. They've won a lot of close games in that. Every And all three wins in the Big East tournament were by two possessions or less. They won all of them. They're three just, throws. Yeah. They know how to get it done. They don't miss free throws. And you have a guy like Colin Gillespie that's just the definition of clutch. And I love Jermaine Samuels. I love Eric Dixon. I love Justin Moore. I just this team it just screams possible national championship. Another team that can cut down the nets. I think you know we could have one, two, one versus two seeds playing each other in regions: the Duke, Gonzaga, and Villanova, Arizona. I just I love these those four teams, and I think Villanova is going to have no not no problem with Michigan, but they should get it done. I just can't see Michigan scoring like they don't have to score a ton of points but are they going to hit shots from the outside is Hunter Dickinson going to stay out of foul trouble and dominate down low against you know he's probably going to have to go up against you Ray know, Sean Slater Slater or Samuels Slater got into foul trouble against EJ Liddell and said key inside which kept Ohio State in it he had no points and four fouls down the stretch so I mean that's that's a way that Michigan can do it, but you got to know that they're going to be ready for that. Yeah, and that's just with these. I think the difference with just from going from the round of sixty four to the round thirty two, or the Sweet Sixteen, the Elite Eight, and then this, where you have you know kind of a week preparation. It really, I think, the advantage goes to the coaching, and you have Jay Wright and Jawan Howard. Listen, Jawan Howard's done a great job this year with the Michigan team, especially in the last month, but 
Jay Wright's experienced. He knows about March. He knows how to prepare for a game like this. He's going to have his team ready to go. They're going to execute the game plan to a T. I think they win by double digits. Wow. I, yeah. I like Villanova. I like Arizona to move on here in the South. Let's move on to the bottom left region in the East. Yeah. I have to get one of these right eventually. The East we have in the top eight seed North Carolina, which we can talk about just the, probably the best game of the tournament or the second best game because we saw the other one. North Carolina versus UCLA, blue blood matchup, eight and the four. And then the, the bottom half, we have Purdue, who beat our Longhorns that we can also talk about, versus the team that can fly, the Peacocks of St. Peter's University from Boardwalk, New Jersey, the 15 seed. Obviously, we don't have a lot of expectations going in for St. Peter's, but credit that they are here. But let's first talk about this first game, Josh. North Carolina, UCLA. We have three one seeds still remaining. This North Carolina team was that team to knock out Baylor, which a lot of people predicted that Baylor would be the first to go. Credit you, Josh, as well. You're one of those people. But the way they did it, probably unexpected. (laughs) You can talk about this game. I mean, we watched it together. It was just I don't know how to describe it, just the back and forth of what transpired in the second half, the way they were able to somehow find a way in overtime. You can, you can get into the logistics and then, you know, your thoughts on this North Carolina-UCLA game as well. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina absolutely dominated Marquette in the first round, and it was clear that their offense was clicking on all cylinders. Yeah. And that's why they were only a five-and-a-half-point dog to Baylor. Baylor's had you know trouble on offense all year round, and that's exactly what we saw for the first 30 minutes of that game. And then Brady Manick throws a pretty hard elbow, gets ejected from the game, flagrant two, and right then and there, we see momentum shift. Baylor decides to start playing the press. They're getting them out in transition. They're getting dunks off turnovers, bad passes, bad plays, four shots by UNC. They're just completely falling out of their offensive sink. They had like 67 points at the 10-minute mark, and I think it went to overtime somewhere in the 70s. So, I mean, it was was very clear that once Baylor turned it on, they flicked that switch, and I mentioned this to you yesterday. I don't think that many teams can do this where they could just say – We're down by 25. Let's ramp up the defensive intensity and make it so they have to beat us on every single possession. That just changes the flow of the game. And that's exactly what we saw. But props to UNC. Neither you nor I thought that once that game went to overtime that they stood a shot in foul trouble left and right. They got Armando Baycott with four fouls. They got RJ Davis with four fouls. That was basically their entire team for most of the game down that stretch after Manic left. Manic, by the way, who was on fire during that game, is going to cause UCLA fits. I mean, it's 26 points in 28 minutes. Yeah. He, was, he hits everything. He did the exact same thing against Marquette. I mean, I'm so glad that he wasn't like this at OU. Like He was very good at OU, but he wasn't like, this is like a star level performance so far in the tournament. So 
kind of the transition that into the UCLA prediction. You know, UCLA struggled with Akron first round. You think that they could have lost that game. You could touch on that a little bit, but really took care of business against St. Mary's, a team that had also just destroyed Indiana the round before. I think this will be a very even matchup. Could be one of the best matchups of the weekend. I'll definitely put it in my top three. These teams are very evenly matched and that they've got a lot of offensive scoring. My question is, can UNC play defense? Because, you know, at times we haven't been able to do that. They've beaten teams like we saw with Duke. That game was in the 90s to the 80s. They destroyed Marquette by scoring. They beat Baylor by scoring. UCLA's defense is good, not great. If they hold the perimeter shooting, if they've got a guy who can lock down Brady Manick, if they play the press in some ways, like Baylor could do an extent, and UNC gets down early, I don't know if they have the ability to come back. But I do think that they've got a good chance to win this game just because they're probably one of the best offenses left in the bracket. But yeah. I'm going to pick UCLA. Yeah. Okay. UCLA. So I got to go against you here. It just has to happen. I'm going to go North Carolina. I just think what I saw from UCLA, especially in that Akron game, they struggle a little bit with teams that have guard size. They're one through three, point guard, shooting guard, small forward. If they are tall, they struggle a little bit with them. They also offensively, some they offensively, it just hasn't really clicked for me with UCLA this year. And, you know, they scored 72 against St. Mary's. But if you look at they shot extremely well. I just, I don't know. I, I feel like that was just because it was St. Mary's. No offense to them. But I don't know if they're going to be able to stop Brady Manick, R.J. Davis, and I think they're going to have a really hard time down low with Armando Baycott. And North Carolina is playing with a lot of confidence. A lot of people doubted them, including myself. And they just took out Baylor. They're going to be ready for this game. I think they're going to try to make UCLA play at their tempo, and that's the problem. UCLA is going to have to play a slower game, in my opinion. North Carolina is up and gunning like they were early against Baylor. R.J. Davis, Manic hitting shots from the outside. It's going to be a long night for the Bruins. It's just, for me, maybe it's not, you know, the best opinion. It's just I've watched them a lot this year, and it just doesn't seem like it's the same team as last year in the tournament. It just hasn't clicked, and I've been waiting for that, and I haven't gotten it, and I don't think they're going to get it done against North Carolina. I really think R.J. Davis, Tiger Campbell's the matchup to watch, and I think R.J. Davis is going to get the best of Tiger Campbell and they're going to come away with a win, and it's going to be a really, really – I think the game will be decided by one possession. Mm-hmm. But I like the eight seed North Carolina moving on to the Elite Eight. With that, let's talk about Purdue and St. Peter's problem. Yeah, well, let's first discuss Purdue's path of how they got here. Purdue took care of business against Yale. We – said they were going to get overmatched, and they did. And then they played Texas last night. And, Josh, you can get into it as well. Honestly, valiant effort by our Longhorns. They played tough. 
There were moments where they could have easily gotten blown out and they came back. They had enormous foul trouble. <laughs> they sent Purdue to the line a lot of times. 46. And yeah. And Josh said it perfectly. 46 times to the free throw line. It is extremely hard to win if you're sending a team to have free shots 46 times in the game. And Texas, credit to them, they actually had a chance. They were down three points with a minute 40 to go, despite all that. Texas, the all year, we were gonna we said was two things: the offensive struggles and the size and that is why they lost this game against Purdue they went on like a 10 minute stretch where they did not score in the first half they got down I think about 14 points they did end the half on a great run to cut it to six at the half but then the size Travion Williams Williams. yeah he was the difference Zach Eady they did a good job on him they hack and Eady it worked he had 11 and 10, but he struggled, didn't play a ton, only 15 minutes for him. But they, Purdue noticed, Matt Painter noticed that it was going on with Travion Williams because he is physical. He is a tough guy to guard and he is a crafty around the perimeter. And he was sensational against Texas 22 and seven on 10 of 13 shooting. And, you know, we talked about Manic. Or I, I said Manic 26 and 28 minutes. How about Williams 22 and 24 minutes? That is sensational. And he comes off the bench. Yeah, he's off the bench. That's the beauty of Purdue. And then Jaden Ivey, Ramey did a great job on him, honestly. But when it mattered most, great players make great plays. And Jaden Ivey, cold-blooded killer that he is, hit two ridiculous threes. And one three to the dagger, 74-71, shot clock winding down just over a minute, over Ramey, no problem. And, you know, credit to Purdue. We've talked about this team all year. We've really liked them as the favorites in the Big Ten. We, you know, as a just general point, Big Ten, uh, once again, disappointing. And Purdue, what do you know? They're still here, and I like them to go to a Final Four. So, just before we get into Purdue St. Peter's, Josh, your thoughts on Texas and kind of the season as a whole. What, you know, did they live up to expectations? What can you take away from this season? I mean, expectations, definitely an interesting point to look at. You know, they entered the season as the preseason number five team in the country. I thought that was maybe a little too much hype for a bunch of guys that really hadn't played together. Plus, you know, old men, old men, Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey, but you know what? I'm going to just take solace in the fact that we won a game. Somehow it was at least somewhat questionable in the last minute against Virginia tech, but I was pretty confident that we'd be able to take care of business. And we did look, you said it right. This Purdue team deserves a lot of respect. And the fact that we got matched up with them as the three seed, as you know, one of only two, three seeds left and, you know, we couldn't even get faced against tech. If we got Tennessee as a three or if we had Wisconsin as a three, maybe we stood a chance, but this Purdue team is so good. They're so big. They really play to our size discrepancy. And I mean, I'm not going to really 
try to figure out why we fouled 29 times, but we got out rebounded by 17. Mm -hmm. So that's going to happen when you have a size discrepancy. Timmy Allen also just didn't come to play. So that doesn't help either. You know, Marcus Carr, despite the fact that he was pretty mediocre to above average, especially considering our expectations of him going into the season for most of the regular season, really came to play in the tournament. Appreciate it. Hope you decide to come back next year. Not sure he will, but it was a fun ride with this Texas team. You got a tournament win while you were still in school, so be happy yeah. with that. Yeah, and I will be. I think they obviously didn't live up to the expectations. I think, though, Chris Beard has started to build a foundation of culture that I think will translate in a few years to you know, sustain success, and it was a really good sign that they were able to, you know, after that demoralizing loss to TCU to come back and play a Virginia Tech team that a lot of people were high on and they were red hot. They took care of business, got the win, and then they gave it their all against Purdue. They didn't lay down. They didn't give up. And Purdue, at the end of the day, you said it, they're just a better team. And they dominated us where we knew it was going to be a problem in the size department. And honestly, I'm not disappointed in the end result. I, I thought if they've got Wisconsin or, as you said, another three seed, they probably – I think they would still be playing right now. It's just Purdue is they're, – they're good. And they're one of the teams that I said earlier, of, I thought, you know, around five, six teams that can cut down the nets. They're on that list mm-hmm. for sure. They have the goods, as we talked about a lot this weekend. So, that you know, hopefully Texas, I think a lot of players can maybe come back and they have a good recruiting class. So I'm looking forward to the next few years with our Longhorns. However, in the present moment, Purdue, St. Peter's, this is the biggest spread that we have for good reason on the board on this Sweet 16 slate, 12 and a half. St. Peter's has been, I think there are 18 and a half against Kentucky and then eight and a half against Murray State. It's a lot harder as we've seen with the other two, six or 15 seeds. It's just the preparation and the coaching. Like Shaheen Holloway is a great coach. I'll probably get hired, I think, at Seton Hall next year, but he's going up against Matt Painter that's done this before. And they're way more talented than St. Peter's, obviously. Any chance they even give him a game here i mean it would take a lot of mistakes by purdue yeah it would take a lot of free throw shooting misses by purdue i would guess st peter's by sending the line to get them in get them out i mean here's the thing the st peter's team are they you know overly talented and you know jump off the charts no we talked about this and i'll mention it again right the Oral Roberts 15 seed that made the Sweet 16 last year had Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner, who were two ridiculous talents. Yeah. The St. Peter's team has grit. They've, they're scrappy. They honestly got a seven seed in Murray State that I hate to say it, but it's kind of resembling of getting seven seed San Diego State with Florida Gulf Coast in the second round, you know, versus Oral Roberts beat a real Florida team that legitimately could have made a run if they won that game. So, do I really have a lot of hope in them? No. That's why it's a 12 and a half point spread. It would take a whole lot of mistakes by Purdue and a lot of ridiculous, probably threes 
uh, St. Peter's to win. But you know what? I hope they keep it close. I hope it's not a blowout just so we can make things interesting. But I have no expectations of the winners game. Yeah, and we've seen the first two games, St. Peter's is going to foul you. They, you're going to get to the line a lot. So Kentucky went to the line a lot. They missed yeah. a lot of free throws in OT, and that's why they're not here anymore. Yeah, and so honestly, though, Purdue hasn't shot the free throws from the free throw line extremely well. They didn't shoot great against Texas, 71%. That's okay. It's not fantastic against Yale. They shot really well, though. So we'll see. I, I don't think they'll compete in this game, but it's an incredible story. It's only the third time that's ever happened. For Fortunate enough for us, Josh, it's the second time in two years. And all three times have been in our lifetime. Yeah, in the last decade, which is just pretty crazy to me. March. Yeah, it's March. And just as we talked about, the discrepancy and the parity, it's the gap is getting smaller every single year, especially now with the transfer portal and, you know, just so much movement across the country. And then you have these small schools that play together for a long time. So we will see with that. But I like you like UCLA Purdue. I like North Carolina Purdue. So we'll see what happens there. Let's hit our last region here, Josh, in the region that you will be going to in Chicago. Midwest, baby. The Midwest, we have the one seed, the Kansas Jayhawks, the four seed Providence Friars. A lot of people, including I think the two of us, did not think they would be here right now. And then we have the bottom teams that I don't know how. But I know you're very excited about this. We have an 11-10 matchup. Iowa State and Miami are here. Both of them have gotten to this point in different ways. Iowa State, I think, has gotten a little fortunate with some of the matchups they've gotten, beating LSU and Wisconsin and just grueling, dogfight, boring, honestly, basketball games against two teams that really struggle to score. Miami, they earned it. They really fought against a scrappy, hard-nosed USC team that survived a Drew Peterson March moment shot at the buzzer. And then they just demolished a very talented Auburn team. Just 18. 18 blew them out the water. Auburn couldn't score. Miami kept scoring. As our good friend John Rothstein says, they have more guards than Shawshank. And this Hurricanes team... You want value, book them to the final four. I love them. Okay. Let's start with Kansas and Providence, Josh. Your thoughts going into this game. Obviously, Kansas, they kill Texas Southern, throw that away. Had to fight against Creighton. And then you have Providence facing two solid men majors. A lot of people wanted, you know, we thought South Dakota State could do it. They shut them down on defense or on offense South Dakota State couldn't hit a shot and then Richmond they ran out of gas after the Iowa win so what are your thoughts going on into this game do you think Providence could maybe pull off that big upset I think it's going to be close and frankly if it's going to be close I like Providence I mean seven and a half points is a lot of points both you and I have said this repeatedly Providence has been disrespected throughout this entire tournament they were a two-point favorite as a four-seed against South Dakota State. Easily covered that. And then were they a four-point favorite, three-and-a-half against Richmond? 
three and a half. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, yeah. Richmond, yeah, they beat Iowa, but you know, we, we were kind of high on Iowa, but in general, you know, big 10 conference championship winner, kind of the cliche stuff of why you lose early and they just could not score yeah. against Richmond, which Providence can score. So they were able to just run them out of the gym. Kansas, they like to score a lot. They -hmm. only like to play a lot of defense is the issue. And that's why somehow Creighton was able to stay in it with them, despite not having one of their best two players in Ryan Kalbrenner, because they've got a bunch of other capable guys of scoring. Providence has a lot of guys who can score. Do they score as much as Creighton? No, but they also play a lot better of defense than Creighton. So it's really going to be a question of can Providence's defense hold it with Kansas because very few teams this year have actually been able to. That's why they're a one seed. That's why they won the big 12 tournament. I mean, we've seen Kansas play very well. We know that they're very deep, you know, Remy Martin decided to be the guy that stepped up and was hitting shots, but frankly, it doesn't have to be him. It hasn't been him all year. They've got just a loaded team of talent and David McCormick just being another big body inside Christian Brown can play you anywhere, you know, Ochai Baji, can they shut him down? If they can do that, then they've got a game. And like I said, you know, as we know, Providence loves these close games. They haven't had one yet, but if they did, they would probably win. So if, if it is going to get there, I like the Friars. I just don't know if their offense can keep up with Kansas. So I'm probably still going to stick with the Jayhawks. Yeah, I probably agree with you. I like Providence to cover. I don't know if they can pull this off. I just, they can score Providence. It's just, is their offense, you know, catch your eye just off the page? No. Noah Horschel, the senior, has played fantastic both games in this tournament. And Jared Bynum off the bench has also been electric for Providence. They've been the team that no one respected. They keep winning. They, you know, they were the luckiest team has you know statistically on paper and they've they keep proving people wrong including the two of us and it's just they keep getting doubted in vegas as well so i just it really wants me at least to take the spread here and i easily could see them winning pulling it off i just it's going to take a lot kansas another team on offense that just has so many weapons that they can go to in the crane game i mean Wilson 14, Abaji 15, Braun or Brown 13. You had Remy Martin off the bench at 20 points. So many guys that can shoot the ball from outside. And you also have McCormick down low. And he had a horrible game. And they still win against Creighton, even though obviously Cal Brenner was hurt. I think Kansas is going to survive. They're going to have the overwhelming majority in crowd support in this game in Chicago. They're going to get behind them, and they're going to find a way to win. I like them winning 74, 75 to 71. Wow, so, so Kansas wins a close one. Wins a close one. I know Providence loves to play close games, but I think the luck's going to have to come to an end at some point. I would love it to continue to get, keep moving on. And if you really think Providence is going to win, let me tell you something that happened today with Ed Cooley, their head coach. Went to go get a Coke out of the machine. One Coke. 
three rolled out of the box. <laughs> How do you know this? I follow Twitter people, and it's just, it's incredible. Everything just keeps going their way. So why Friars. not? Friars. And you are going to be there. So I would love for you to see something really, really cool. I would love a little magic. Little magic. It's March. Who knows? We'll see uh, Kansas, the Big 12 favorite to cut down the nets for the conference. So we will see with the Jayhawks. But I like Kansas to come out going to the bottom game. You know, we thought Miami maybe or even Iowa State because of the path could get here we didn't hi hello yeah you I would just like to say that on this podcast in my prediction i said i'm gonna be bold yeah. give me 11 10 iowa state miami i threw it out there i laid out the path here it is here it Have is. At it. yeah and no all the credit to you but did we really see see it happening i don't know it was this was scott's team's bad I did not expect that Miami would blow the doors off of Auburn. Yeah. <laughs> they looked so good. They did. And uh, I don't know. I just – it's crazy to me that it's a 10-11. It should be a – and it's almost – you know, it's a close spread. But I love this Miami team. I just think they're going to roll through Iowa State. Iowa State really only has one or two guys that can score the basketball – and Coucher and Brockington. Other than that, they can't shoot at all. Tyrese Hunter shot one of 10 against Wisconsin. Didn't matter. They still win. The I game. told you we should have hit his under against Wisconsin. Didn't he go off against uh, LSU? Yeah, he went off against LSU. Yeah. That's why. But <sighs> Miami, the guard play is just exceptional. I love McGusty. I love Miller. I love Charlie Moore. He's How about really- Isaiah Wong? Duncan on Jamal Smith. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was an, an amazing dunk. This Miami team is just playing with a lot of confidence. We saw this, you know, when they beat Duke earlier in the year, that this team can beat quality competition. They can score the basketball because they play a guard-oriented, you know, they have four, they really have four guards on the court at a time. So they really can spread you out on the offensive end. They can shoot from outside, and they can get by you on driving to the lane because they have speed and it's hard to guard. I listen, they're going to, the rebounding, they could struggle a tad. They got out rebounded to Auburn by eight, but it doesn't matter when you are hitting shots and playing with confidence. And you have a coach in Jim Laranega who has done this a very long time. On the other side, you have TJ. Oh, I can't pronounce his last name, but he's from South Dakota state and UNLV. It's his first time really coaching in the NCAA tournament, you know, for a power program. So I don't know if he's ready. Josh, I just want to say this before you give your thoughts on this game. They won two games last year, Iowa State. They went two and 22. They have now won two games in the NCAA tournament. They were projected dead last in the Big 12. Dead last. They also haven't lost a game outside of the Big 12 conference this year. So with that. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I forgot they, they started the year really hot because they played no one. 
Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So no, no that's a good point. Yeah. So but, what are you th- your thoughts going into this Miami house? Only way Iowa State can win this game is if they do their scorched earth method that worked against LSU and Wisconsin of slow possessions, turn you over, make you take late in the shot clock, difficult shots with incapable scorers, which Miami has capable scorers, so that's already a knock against them. The only way that Miami loses is if they play a team that's got a ton of size. You know what they have not gone against yet? A lot of size. USC has size, and that's why they gave them a lot more trouble than Auburn did. Auburn's a little bit more guard-oriented. Miami loves the guard game. We've seen this, and that's more so what Iowa State has plus the you know scorched-earth defense. I think that this game will stay close, but Miami will pull away late. I'm with you. I think that Miami's spread is the best value on the board. I don't think it can get better than that. And I frankly like would be shocked if the Cyclones won this game. I think that they are probably the 15th best team in the field right now. I would agree. They opened at Iowa State minus one. It is now Miami minus two and a half. Iowa State opened as a favorite? Yes, minus one. That? Who decided that that was a good idea? And why did we not jump on Miami at that very moment? Yeah, and the public bet, 88% on Miami. Also, the money line for either team, 98% on Miami. We're going to look really dumb if Iowa State wins, but I'm willing to take that chance. Yeah, and everyone will be on the same path with us. So at least, you know, it's not – we're in the majority here, so. Yes. All right. We'll, We'll see. Yeah. Final four? Final four predictions, and we'll wrap it up here. You go first. Give me Gonzaga, Villanova. Okay. Purdue. And Miami. Wow. Okay. And I'm gonna stick and I'm gonna stick to the two teams that I said at the beginning of the bracket and just going into the bracket that were my to the two teams that I've liked the most all year being Purdue and Villanova in the finals. No one seats. Yeah, okay. I'm going to go with Duke. And then the bottom half of the left side, I will go with... Pick UNC. Pick UNC. Yeah. UNC. For the storyline. For the storyline. Coach K storyline. I'm big on scripting and sports, so why not? Go to the top right. I really want to take Arizona. I really do, but I can't go against Jay Wright in this group, even though you have him. Oh, my God. I'm going to go Villanova. I took – I told you I took them plus 400 to win the region before the round of 32. So I'm going to stick with that. We go to the bottom right. You have Miami. (laughs) You got to take Kansas. I got to take Kansas. So, let's do it. Give me Providence. <laughs> wow. Neither of us are taking Kansas. Even though I picked Kansas in the game against Providence? Okay. I mean, yeah. I'm just going to say Providence. I, I, well, this is the Why Not Us podcast. The Why Not Us. So, we why got, we not? We a 15 seed in the Sweet 16 for the second year in a row. Yeah. Why not? It's uh, incredible. Any final thoughts before we wrap the show? And then next week, Josh, I don't know. Will we have one show after the final four or will it be our last? 
We'll do we'll do a final four preview. And that'll be it. And that'll be it. That'll be it. Okay. So yeah, one last show. Any final thoughts going into the Sweet 16 Elite Eight? We have saw four days of just incredible basketball. We get a nice little break here and then we get back into action for four more days this weekend. What are you what are you expecting? What are you hoping for? Go ahead. I mean, we were expecting that there would be some chalk in the first round and some upsets in the second. I'm expecting some chalk in the Sweet 16 and some upsets in the Elite Eight. You know, you were saying North Carolina to the Final Four, sign me up. Miami to the Final Four, sign me up. You know, a two over a one, like a Duke over Gonzaga, a Villanova over Arizona, I could live for all of this. Yeah, I think there is a 10% chance that there are no one seeds in the Final Four. I would be ecstatic. So I, don't, I would have I, to look up the last time that's ever happened. It's been a while, I'm sure. But yeah. look, bottom line is, extremely, extremely tight race. No clear favorites by any means. There's mm-hmm. barely any tiering. And there's some, t- there's some teams at the bottom. There's everybody else. So wherever you are, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, find some time out of your usual activities and watch some of the best basketball that you could see all year because these teams are so talented. And what's crazy about this year and all other years, in my opinion, you have 14 of the 16 teams in the Sweet 16. Okay, nah, not 14. Let's do th- let's say 12 to 13 that can get to the Final Four, in my opinion. 12 yeah. to 13. And then you have, I think, six teams that can win the title. Gonzaga, Duke, Tech. Purdue, Arizona, um, Villanova, Kansas. I guess that's seven. If I do math, I would go. I would go if you're going to go six. Kansas, not Tech. Yeah, yeah. Tech's a long shot, but I still think they have a chance. They're so a close six, seven, but still, that's a ton of teams. It's almost it's half the field. I know it's a, it's amazing, and this year has been incredible. This is our first year, real year since the pandemic. It's lived up to everything and more. It's been awesome having Josh along the ride to be with him during the tournament this past weekend was phenomenal. Um, you know, this sport brings me so much joy. It's been a great year. I'm excited for these games. Can't wait to talk about previewing the Final Four in New Orleans. I'm very excited to see what this field is. But, yeah, it's been a great year. Thank you so much, everyone, to join that has joined and listened to the Wine on Us podcast and enjoyed all the basketball. But that's going to wrap it up. We will see you next week for the final four predictions, our last show of the season. Enjoy the madness because it's March. And guess what? We sleep in May. <laughs>